Well, good morning. Oh, you can do a little better than that. Come on. Good morning. It's December 17th, and this is why we love Texas. It is going to be 70 degrees and sunny today. Come on. I grew up in Michigan. I spent the first 33 years of my life between Michigan and upstate New York. So on December 17th, I promise you, it wasn't 70 and sunny. We were trucking through snow, scraping off our cars anyway, so I am glad to be in Texas this morning. My name's Keegan. If you haven't had a chance to meet me, I would love to meet you. I'll be in the guest commons, uh, at the guest suite in the commons right after service. I'm the lead pastor of this location, and uh, I'm excited for you to be here today. If you're new, thank you for joining us. Uh, we're in a, an exciting series called Awaiting Advent, and I'm going to catch you up uh, in a moment on that. But first, I do want to say a couple of things. I want to get you up to speed on our um, Pastor Stephen already alluded to it, but where we're at in our project, in our campaign, uh, we've got 315000 that we still need to get to for that 400000 so that we can break ground and actually start the project happening. For those of you that are new and you haven't seen what's going on, you can look at the renderings out in the commons and see what we're going to do. Um, but essentially, we're expanding um, our common space so that we can allow for more community and, and more uh, space for people to mingle and just gather. Uh, we're going to also be able to upgrade our um, auditorium, our kids' facilities. Uh, we're going to have more space for them upstairs. We're going to have another space um, down here where we'll actually be able to do more with uh, discipleship and courses and, and, and men's and women's things and student things and all kinds of uh, great things. So basically, we're expanding to make more room for more ministry. Is that okay? Is anybody okay with that? Come on, y'all don't sound extra excited. I'm super excited because I know this is going to be a huge impact on lives and on people that come through these doors. And so we're excited about that. I want to say uh, thank you to all of you that have already pledged and or started giving towards that. And just a reminder, anything that we give above and beyond our tithes from now through the end of the year will go towards that 400000 that we need to uh, go ahead and get started on the project first part of 2024. So I'm excited about that. Um, I don't know if I had any other announcements for you. I forget if I do. But anyway, let's get into the message today. Oh, you can see Christmas Eve services. 9 o'clock next week and 11 o'clock, nothing really changes for y'all, so you don't really have to worry about it. Just invite somebody, all right? Christmas is always more fun with more people. Some of you are like, no, it's not. You haven't met my family. Then invite somebody outside your family to join you, and then it'll be more fun. Uh, but we're in awaiting Advent. Last, uh, last week, we talked about Mary. We talked about how God came and, and spoke this amazing thing that was going to happen that he was going to do in her life. And, and she responded with the same response that all of us should have towards God, which is, you know what, God, whether I understand it, whether it makes sense to me, whether it seems impossible, if you're speaking it and you're saying it, I choose to say yes and believe you, right? That is the posture that Mary's heart had that we can learn from, and we should have the same in our walk with God. Week one, we looked at how God came and fulfilled a lifelong dream and promise to Elizabeth and Zechariah by giving them a child. She had been barren all her life, and she was well beyond the childbearing age, according to things in the natural. But God proved himself and showed that nothing will be impossible. Look at your neighbor say, nothing is impossible with God. Come on, you don't sound like you believe it this morning. I mean nothing. Some of you are in, in situations that at times you feel are impossible, or your kids seem impossible right now, or your spouse, or your family, and, and things that are happening on Facebook. You're like, this is impossible. It's not for God. God can step in and change any of it. And so today, we're going to look at the humble shepherds. We're in week three, and we're going to talk about how we are like these shepherds. You know, it's amazing. Well, I won't get ahead of myself. Who's got your Bible? Come on, wave it at me. 
I told you last week also that we're switching over from CSB to NLT, so if you need to pick up, come on, ask somebody for Christmas, say you want, a, you want an NLT Bible so you can follow along with the pastor in church. Uh, and I will tell you a side note, if you're looking for a great study Bible, you can get an NLT. There's one called the Spirit Life or Spirit-Filled Bible. Uh, I love that. It's got excerpts of like the original language of Greek and Hebrew, and so you can really dive deeper. Um, just throwing that out there for anybody who wants to study their Bible a little more in 2024. But here we go in Luke. Turn with me to chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 8. It says this, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Come on, that's shepherds doing what shepherds do, right? Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Don't be afraid. Remember, we've been talking about this theme that runs in the Bible where angels show up and people get terrified. And the angels almost always have to begin their discourse with, don't be afraid. I'm not here to harm you. It says, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger or swaddled for all of you that have a new King James or whatever the reference is. Suddenly the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth with those to those with whom God is pleased. When the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph. And there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone, say everyone. What had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherds, say all. Come on, this is a participation church. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished, but Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. The shepherds went back to their flocks, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. It was just as the angel had told them. What a magnificent moment. We're going to break down some of this, and and, and we're going to start with, first of all, why in the world would the proclamation of the Son of God, God coming to earth, be told to some shepherds? I don't know about you, but if if President Biden is going to come and visit Temple, they don't call me, right? I don't get a special message saying, hey, just so you know, he's going to be in town on such and such a day. I'm not important enough for President Biden's people to call me and let me know. Right? Usually when someone extraordinarily important is coming into a place, they call the people who are in charge. Right? They call the elite. They call the nobles. They call the people with money and the people with influence. And imagine, not even the, those that are in, 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 in the church, you know, not even those that are followers of the one true living God, even they don't get the proclamation. It's to shepherds. And I don't know if you know this, but shepherds in that time were not like the elite. They weren't The great socialites, they weren't the nobles. They were, by and large, uh, those that are on the outskirts, kind of the lowly, right? It wasn't like some some flashy job. What do you do? Hey, girl, you know I'm a shepherd. Yeah, I I can smell it. I can smell that. Uh, Whose field are you in, you know? It wasn't some job that you would brag about being a shepherd. It was, a matter of fact, a lot of people, look at this, a lot of people thought of them as dirty, vagrants, dishonest people. Smelled like the animals they cared for, lived on the margins of society. A lot of people even saw them as as outcasts because they would go and try and 
and take their flocks into other people's fields instead of just staying where they were supposed to be. So these were not these extraordinary people. But it's beautiful because God shows us something in this. Let's look at three reasons why God chose the shepherds. Number one, the symbolism of the shepherds. These were the lowly of the lowly. And by sending an angelic proclamation to this group of people, God is telegraphing his heart to all of us. In one of the strongest ways that he could, this is what God is saying. Jesus, the light of the world, is coming for the lowly and the outcast. He, he's revealing himself to the very people, the kind of people that he's coming for. Come on, have you ever been in church and, and heard somebody say, God's not looking for you to be perfect. He's not looking for you to be the most popular. He's not looking for you to be the most successful. God comes to those that the world, by and large, has said, you know what? You're not that important. You don't really count that much. You're not on Forbes' greatest list of this or, or have the fastest growing company or the fastest growing church or the, the, the whatever. God's not impressed by people the way that we're impressed by people. You don't have to impress God for him to come to you. Do you know that? Your life doesn't have to be something where you're just breaking records and setting trends for God to be interested in your life. No, he came to the lowly. He came to the castaways. And he gave them the good news first. This is powerful. Look at 1 Corinthians. It reminds me of the words of Paul in chapter 1, verse 27 to 29. It says, God chose things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. Come on, have you ever heard atheists talk about how they're just, they don't believe in God because they're intellectually too, uh, too smart, basically? Or that religion is for the impoverished, right? People say this stuff all the time. Do you know that God will continue to use the foolish things to make those people look like idiots? It's real quiet in here already. Okay, it's going to be a good Sunday morning. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. Come on, I don't care if you're here this morning in your whole life, everyone told you that you were never going to amount to anything, that you were not as smart as your brother, not as bright as your sister, not as flashy or successful as whatever. It doesn't matter. God's coming to you. He came for you. Some of y'all should take a deep breath and just exhale. God came for you. Everything that we read about from this magnificent moment of him coming to earth all the way through when he goes to that cross and he gives up his life and then he rises from the dead. He takes all that sin of the world. It's for you and for me. That's why he did it. And today, you don't have to be good enough to come to God. He already decided you were worth dying for. And he came. And there's no resurrection unless there's a birth. There's no Jesus to walk this earth and go to a cross. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But it began here in this moment with this baby. You're like, aren't we going to talk about baby Jesus next week? Talk about baby Jesus next week. And look at this. This is interesting about the sheep. This is another point of symbolism worth noting. There are some who believe that these particular shepherds were raising Passover lambs. Those would have been lambs that would have been used for uh, the sacrifice of sin in the Old Covenant. This would be consistent with some of the symbolism Luke is creating in this gospel account. You remember just like uh, a couple weeks ago when we talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, how Zechariah, when he came out of uh, the, the temple, he did not give the priestly blessing. 
But at the end of Luke, uh, we see that Jesus pronounced blessing essentially once and for all, right? He was the last, he is the last great high priest. And so he pronounced that blessing. We don't now need to continue to go through that same ritual. In the same way, uh, we see Jesus, who we know is the perfect and last Passover lamb. We see this, this, this connection here. He's trying to give them a foreshadow, a foretaste of these shepherds and what they're doing. Even though the shepherds were in many ways the least of these, they had an important job. Number two, they had connections to a king, or this is why he chose them. We know from the great Jewish king, David, started out as a shepherd himself and was being overlooked by everyone but God. Have you ever felt overlooked? You ever felt overlooked in your family, overlooked in your job, overlooked? Come on, I was the last one when I first started playing basketball. I was the last one to get picked. Almost every time. And then I got good a little bit, you know, so then I was like second to last. But I mean, they took everybody that could jump higher, you know, even look better than me. They, even if they couldn't play, if they were taller than me, it's like, come on, man. But yeah, come on. Not, not all of us were first draft picks. Oh, that's a good message. I mean, I, I won't even get into that because y'all be mad about Tom Brady. 1 Samuel 16.11 let me remind you of David's start. Then Samuel asked, are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, Jesse replied, but he is out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. You remember this story? Maybe you don't. Samuel is coming. He's going to anoint. God sent him to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king, right? Saul was the people's choice. David was God's choice. Come on, you always want to be God's choice in the situation. I promise you. And so he's there. He's got all of his sons lined up, and, and I'm sure they were good-looking guys. You know, they were they're probably all looked more the part of a king in what the world would have been looking for. But God doesn't judge and look at things the same way you and I do, right? His ways are higher. His thoughts are higher. And so he's like, nope. God says it's not any of them. Are you sure this is all you got? No, I got a shepherd. My young boy, he's out there, you know, playing around with the sheep and the goats. And so he says, send for him. That's who God chooses. God has a thing about shepherds. He loves to use those that others disregard. Now look at what the angels say to these Christmas shepherds in Luke 2.11. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. Luke is again linking Jesus to the Davidic lineage, not only by genealogy, but now through this profession, emphasizing his rightful place as the shepherd king of Israel. Another reason... God chose these shepherds uh, was because of light in the darkness. God picked them. Think about this. How many of you, what are you doing at the, in the middle of the night? Sleeping, right? Most of us are sleeping. Now, some of you might be, you know, at work third shift, and this doesn't count for you. But for most people, they're sleeping, you know? But yet the darkest time of the day is when? It's during the middle of the night. And that's when Jesus... When God decides to make this proclamation and let his light come into the world. Imagine, all of a sudden, it's midnight, it's pitch black, and you see these angels, and all of a sudden, you're surrounded by this radiant light, right? We know that light shines brightest in what? In the darkest. You know, today, people talk all, all about, well, it's getting so dark, the world's so dark. Why are we crying about that? As a Christian, you ought to be getting excited. 
And yes, we don't want to see terrible things happening on the news. But when terrible things are happening, when darkness and wickedness are becoming more and more prevalent, guess what that means? It means the message of Jesus Christ can shine brighter and stick out even more. That ought to be exciting. If your mission and your goal in life is to go and make disciples like Jesus said, it's opportunity, baby. Come on, it's like, I don't even know what it's like. Just trying to think of something great to compare it to. But there's nothing like it. I heard somebody say one time that, that even the, the one-eyed man is, is king in a blind world. It's opportunity like that. People say, well, the world's darker than it has ever been. No, it's not. It's just as dark as it's always been. If you lived in the first century church where Christians were literally getting martyred and, per and persecuted and all these other things, listen, it, that, that's about as dark as it can get. Go read about first century Rome and, and how that society looked. It's no different. Wickedness has been the same since the beginning of time. Since sin entered the world, there has been wickedness, Right? And if you think, I'm telling you right now, just go look back at, at the story of Noah. At some point, the Bible says that there was nothing but wickedness, except for Noah and his family. There was nothing but wickedness in every heart all day long, to the point where God said, okay, I'm drowning all of you. Think about that. I'm going to drown every last one of you because you've shaken your fist at me and you refuse to change. Do you know there's consequences for wickedness? For rebelling against God. We don't want to talk about that a whole lot in church because people start getting weirded out. Like, I just want to talk about baby Jesus and this loving God. Next week, we'll talk about baby Jesus and how he grew up. And he eventually started saying things that caused even his disciples to want to turn and walk away. Listen, there's consequences for wickedness consequences for not following God, for rejecting God. And believe me, when we stand before God, when you take your last breath here on earth and you stand before Almighty God, the only question is going to be, did you reject or receive Jesus Christ as your Savior? Let's get down to the brass tacks of it. That's what's going to matter. Not all the stuff you did in church, not all the stuff you did for charity. I don't care how many soup kitchens you go to and how many homeless people you feed. If you don't, Accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You're taking the elevator down when you, when you take your last breath. It's that important. You know, Christmas isn't, isn't about Hallmark. It's not even about your family time. Now, you should spend time with your family and, sure, catch a couple of Hallmark movies. And if you miss them, don't worry. They were the same last year and the year before. Although I will say, kudos to Hallmark for finally having some diversity in their cast. I was like, how in the world is there not more diversity in these shows? And they've upped their game a little bit, so it's getting better. But anyway, we've lost the real meaning. Oh, we'll say it. Jesus is the reason for the season. Is he your reason for the season? Or is it really about all the, your traditions and all the festivities and just the presence? Is Jesus really the reason for your season? I'm getting way ahead of myself. Isaiah 9-2 said this, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. That was foreshadowing of a prophetic fulfillment of this moment. With all of this, how do the shepherds respond? Look at Luke 2, 15-18. When the angels had returned to heaven, 
the shepherds said to each other, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. They hurried, say hurry, to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds told everyone, say everyone, what had happened and what the angel had said to them about this child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. When's the last time you were even astonished by this story? When's the last time you just read over this and, and it wasn't just a nice little Christmas story, but you literally thought of all the things that are happening and all of the prophecy being fulfilled and, and what lengths it took for, the, for Mary and Joseph to even get to this place and, and to see the shepherds respond and to see angelic visitations. This was an astounding moment to think that the God of the universe has just come to us. It's astounding. And so often, this story is so belittled, and we just read over it so fast, and we take it for granted. What is happening? The magnitude of this moment. This changes everything. Every other, I've said this before, every other religion out there is about man's and women's struggle and toil to, to, to please their God to try and get their way to a place where they can get to their God, their false God. It's all about humans trying to find their way to some false God, and yet ours said, I'm going to come to you in the most humble of ways. In a manger, they didn't even have a hotel room. They're in a barn somewhere. In sounds probably even better than it was. Come on, any of you been in a, in a barn lately? How many of you ladies would love to give birth in a barn? You know, can you shut those animals up? I'm trying to do something here, really important. Think about this. We just, we just read so fast. Look how God chose to come, the humility that he modeled to us. powerful. Responding to the reality of Jesus. This is how we should respond, the same way that these shepherds did. Number one, immediately. Respond immediately. As soon as the angels left, as soon as they left, the shepherd said, let's go to Bethlehem, right? Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Do not stop and do this or do that. Let's go. We just, God just spoke to us through these angels. This is what happened. We got to go. And they respond immediately. How many of you parents, that's how you want your kids to respond when you tell them to do something? Right? We get irritated. We get ticked off when, it's, when they're like, oh, I think I'll do it in three weeks. No, clean your room now. Do what I told you right now. Right? That's the appropriate response. And all the kids who don't believe it, wait one day. You'll have kids and you'll understand. That's what my mom used to tell me, and she was right. That's what her mom used to tell her, and she was right. But we have to respond to God immediately. Some of you are missing things in your life, and God has not done some things in your life yet because you're not responding immediately. You're not setting aside. You've got excuses. You've got reasons why you can't get to it right now, why you're going to procrastinate instead of just being obedient and doing what God's telling you to do. Just be obedient. Just do it. And I know we're all working on that. Whether you just started following Jesus or you've been following him for a long time. I heard great preachers say this my whole life. Delayed obedience is disobedience. 
And I'm telling you, don't think for a second that God won't, if he asks you to do something and you just don't do it or you put it off, don't think that he'll just wait on you forever. He'll find it. If he wants to get something done, he'll move on to the next person who is ready to respond immediately. And you'll have missed. And I promise you, you might sit there and go, well, that's good. I don't want to do it anyway. You'll still be held accountable for it, for your disobedience. Just telling you, you've got to understand how God thinks. Respond immediately. Then go together. Let's, it says, go to Bethlehem. Yes, all of us have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but make no mistake, our relationship with God is connected to our spiritual family, to our brothers and sisters. If you don't believe me, go back through your Bible, especially the New Testament, and look at all the one another's. If you do this to one another, right? God says, if you don't forgive others, don't expect me to forgive you. God connects. Our relationship is, is connected, right? When God speaks to his people, he almost always speaks to the whole, the ecclesia, his bride. We are all part of the bride. I made a really gross analogy or, or metaphor. I don't even know. what I get caught, thrown off on all those words. I made an example. I said, cut your, cut your hand off and throw it on the table and see how long that hand's useful or, or operates. It might wiggle for a few minutes. I don't know. I don't know how nerve endings and all that work. It might wiggle for a little bit, but guess, and guess what? It's going to be dead, rotted up, dried up, no good. You disconnected from the body of Christ, you will not last long. I'm just telling you. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. And there's a lot of people that buy into that lie. They're like, I don't believe in being a part of the institutional church. Why don't you just say it, let's say it real talk, biblical talk. You don't want to be a part of God's body. You want to be on your own. Guess what? God doesn't bless that. He doesn't bless that. The Bible says where there's unity in Psalms, that there God commands a blessing. You are blessed when you are part of God's family. Well, they're not perfect, and they drive me nuts. Welcome to the family. And you're not perfect, and you're going to drive some of us nuts too, but we're going to put up with you because love covers a multitude of sins. Come on, we got answers for all of it. But he, they say, let's go together. It wasn't just, you know, every one of them doing their, and, and I know this is hard because we're Americans, and we value and we celebrate endlessly to the nth degree independence. I'm a self-made man, or I'm a self-made woman. No, you're not. Even if you started a business, if nobody bought your services, you wouldn't have a business. You're not a self-made anything. You still need people. You start a grocery store, guess what? You need people that want to eat your groceries to come buy the groceries so you can make money. We're self-made. Oh, come on, man. Sorry, that may have been a little harsh. Maybe not. Then number three, got to move fast. Go all the way. Let's go to Bethlehem. It, they hurried to the village and found Mary and Joseph, and there was the baby lying in the manger. Come on, this is another great point. Go all the way. Come on, don't go halfway to where God's called you to go. Go all the way. See it through. I said this a few weeks back. God is the greatest finisher of all time. Everything that God starts, he finishes. How many of the things that we start do we finish? Well, God told me to write that book 10 years ago. How many chapters you got done? One. Finish. Go all the way. If God tells you to, to pack up and move, pack up and move. If God tells you to change jobs, change jobs. Trust him. Do it in his timing. But if he says to do it now, respond immediately and go all the way. Do it. 
God tells you to, you know, whatever it is. I mean, who was it uh, in a, uh, I can't even talk this morning. Who was it that came, Ananias and Sapphira, I think, right? Came and said, oh, yeah, we gave everything. And they lied and dropped dead. They didn't go all the way. They gave God a part. They gave God what they thought would be enough for him. Come on, we can do the same thing in our lives. Well, God, I, I gave you 15 minutes this morning. So if I don't talk to you through the rest of the day, yeah, right. That doesn't even work in our natural relationships. Honey, don't talk to me. I already said five words to you today. Leave me alone till tomorrow. I make jokes, but I'm dead serious about this stuff. It's, this is real. You got to go all the way. Come on, partial disobedience. If my daughter cleans three-fourths of her room, guess what? I'm, I'm going to walk in and say, hey, you're doing great, but you're not done yet. Finish it. Anyway, I'll move on. Number four, my last point, go tell somebody. Look at your neighbor. Say, go tell somebody. Come on, you know that old song, go tell it. Over the, go, that, come on, some of you, let's do it again, some of you sing louder, we need, still need some more worship team, folks. I'm just kidding, not kidding, if you can sing, come on, talk to Tiffany. Go and tell somebody. You know, I want to show you, we've got these, if you've picked up a bulletin, Everybody get a bulletin? Come on, you got one of these? You want to wave it at me? Show me that you got it. I got to wake y'all up. We got to start. Here we go. Okay, I want to make sure our team's doing their job. If anybody still needs one, I know they offered you one. Y'all got to take it. We thought this would be a great little way to be a reminder, to be thoughtful. We've got one more week until our Christmas Eve services. And for whatever reason, I don't even know why, but for whatever reason, Statistics do show that people will come to church, they'll say yes, and actually come to a service on Christmas and Easter more than any other time of the year. I don't know why that is. It ain't like we don't got stuff going on all them other 50, 50 weeks of the year, but that's what it is in our society right now. And so we thought, let's have a Christmas wish list. Who are we believing for and asking for God to intervene in their life, to see them come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And so we printed these cards, and on the back, this is not for you to write, you know, my PlayStation 5, my Porsche Cayenne with the bow. I'm still, one of these days, I don't know if it'll ever happen, but I remember as a kid watching these commercials where it's Lexus and whoever else, and they show the, the car in the driveway with the big bow on top. That's never happened to me. I'm like, who does that happen for? Who gets cars for Christmas? I guess it depends on what family you're in. I don't know. But this isn't for that. This is about... Five people that are in your world, maybe they're family members, maybe they're co-workers, maybe students, they're other kids in your classroom or on your teams that you're with or in your clubs, but who are five people that, that you're going to reach out to, that you would say God's put on in, in your mind and on your heart to personally invite to come to church because they need to hear that Jesus has come. They need to hear that he's come and the reason that he came. Is to die on the cross. He came to give his life so that we could spend eternity with him. So that we wouldn't live in hell, separated from him 
when we're done with our time here on earth. Jesus is the reason for Christmas. And people need to hear the story. There's so many that have no clue. You would think, well, we're in America. Everyone knows about Jesus. No, they don't anymore. There's so many people that grow up nowadays, they, they don't even go to a church their entire childhood. Some of them, more and more, people are coming into a church for the first time as an adult or in their 20s. People need to hear. And I'll tell you right now, it ain't about numbers, so I can sit and brag that we had X amount of people in our Christmas Eve services. No, it's about if this is a moment where people will listen and say yes, then my goodness, we got to take advantage of it. We got to take advantage of it. Listen, we're not responsible for whether people reject or receive Christ, but we are responsible to tell them. That's our job. That's on us to say, just come and hear about this magnificent moment. Come hear about the Savior of the world, leaving his throne, coming to a manger, to the least of us, all the way up to the top. So write that down. I would ask you to even be bold enough to even text one of them on your way out before you even leave the building today. Take action like those shepherds. They couldn't wait to tell people. Can I ask you this? If you're a believer, when's the last time you were so excited about your faith and about what God has done that you couldn't stop talking about it? I remember when I was a late teenager and I had really gotten serious and, and had an encounter with God, I'm, I'm telling you, I bugged everyone about Jesus. I did. Every time I went through a drive-thru, every time I went to a restaurant or a store, I want to be in that place again where I'm reminded of what he's done for me. That I can't stop telling people about it. Invite someone. Invite someone. And I want the last thing I want to do, I know I've kept you over. It's all right, you'll be fine. But I do want to pray for you. If you're here today and you've never accepted, you didn't know that Jesus came and that he came for you, died for your sins, pay the price for your sin. But you, you've heard the good news now and you want to be in relationship with him. You want to say yes to Jesus so that you can get to know him now and you can spend eternity with him. It's the greatest decision any of us ever make in our lives. And you can make it right here. This moment, you can walk out of these doors with your eternity sealed in him. And all you've got to do is raise your hand and say, yes, I want to receive Jesus. I'm going to ask you on the count of three, or maybe you just need to recommit your life today, and you need to go all the way because you really haven't gone all the way with Jesus. You can do that today, too, and start living your life 100% for him. If that's you in either one of those places, with every eye up or every eye open and every head up, because we believe when you say yes to Jesus, you do it with boldness. He said, if, you'll, if you deny me in front of others, then I'll deny you in front of my Father. But if you will not deny me, I will not deny you. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be denied. I want Jesus to say, yeah, this is my son. This is my daughter. To every single one of us. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. One, two, three. Just raise your hand. I'm not trying to embarrass you. But I want to pray with you. Come on the best decision you'll ever make. Come on, we can, we can do a little better than that. The Bible says literally that angels rejoice when even one gives their life to Jesus.
I'm going to pray this prayer. Church, pray with me. If you raise your hand, just say this from your heart directly to God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ, to this earth in this magnificent moment to live his life and ultimately give his life for my sin, taking my place on the cross, forgiving my sins, washing me clean so that I could know you and I could be in relationship with you both now and for eternity. I receive your gift of salvation and I ask you today to come into my heart to be my Savior, my Lord, and my King. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. amen. God bless y'all.